0: If you're listening for the first time to The Leadership Show, we want to personally welcome you. We started this podcast because too many of us have been hurt, underappreciated, and abused by unhealthy leaders. And we believe that when leaders get better, families get better, communities get better, our workplace gets better, and ultimately our world gets better. We tend to start our podcast off with a verse of the day, and today's verse is John 15, verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. This verse is powerful because it's teaching us to love one another the way Jesus loved us, and I remember even in John three sixteen that we talked about in our last episode, that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, so He gave us something And that's what it truly means to love, is to give of ourselves. Again, we can find our verse in John 15, verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. There are two kinds of leaders in our world, leaders who command and leaders who connect. I believe that transformation happens when we apply, learn information. Our shows are intentionally under 30 minutes for working professionals, busy parents, and on-the-go students, and most importantly, aspiring leaders. I have a question for you today. Have you been affected by domestic violence? Or do you know someone who's in an unhealthy relationship? We are continuing our conversation from our previous episode with Audrey May Prosper. If you answered yes to either one of those questions, then today's episode is just for you. Today, we'll be talking again with Audrey May Prosper, who is the founder of Your Thrive Tribe, an organization that helps women connect, heal, and grow in life and in Christ. My amazing wife, the mother of our kids, and a survivor thriver of domestic violence. Today's show is part two of looking at domestic violence through the leadership lens. Now, let's recap part one. On part one, we talked about what type of leadership styles we grew up in And how it affected us. And we talked about how we now lead our families and how our current culture addresses domestic violence. We also briefly touched on how we can end domestic violence through the vehicle of leadership. On today's show, we're going to dive in a little deeper and discuss how we can end domestic violence through the leadership lens. Let's just dive right in. Audrey, thank you again for being on our show. What, What are your thoughts?
1: Well, I think it's imperative to know where we came from in order to know where we're going. So let's go back for just a second, all right? When we talk about domestic violence, we're talking about when one partner is mentally, emotionally, physically, financially, or even digitally abusing the other in order to gain or maintain power and control. So I think the first question we need to ask David is, Why would somebody want to gain or maintain power and control?
0: Someone I think about, and I talked about it in uh, one of my first episodes of Dictators, uh, Styles of Leadership, and I think of Adolf Hitler and what he experienced growing up. He experienced a feeling of being powerless, and he never wanted to go back to feeling powerlessness. So what happens, it creates a need for certainty. So I think that's the the deeper root of what you talked about the power and control is is when an individual has once felt powerless, so now they're in a position of power and they never ever want to feel that feeling again of not being in power
1: yeah, that makes a lot of sense because what you said too was you alluded to how power and control there was a deeper need of certainty there. So that would mean that, Power and control is a symptom of that greater need. And I think just often in our culture overall in the Western society, we tend to uh, uh, diagnose symptoms as if they're the root cause and we treat symptoms as if they're the root cause when in actual reality, they're only a symptom. Anxiety, I think would be a really big one in our culture right now mm-hmm. that it's being diagnosed as the the cause when in fact, It's a symptom of something that's there Mm -hmm. underneath the surface. So talk to me about that greater need then. Power and control is a symptom of a greater need.
0: Well, according to Tony Robbins, he talks about the six human needs, uh, and then I'll go through them. So one of them are love and connection, certainty, growth, contribution, significance, and variety. And you I went think,
1: over that real fast. Like, said, slow, slow your roll. Uh-huh. Help me understand a little bit, okay? What, what are those needs? I don't, I don't think I've ever even heard of the six human needs.
0: So, love and connection. Every one of us, we have a desire for love, and we have a desire for connection. And sometimes we will essentially substitute the one for the other. So, we will. Uh, we live in the, the world, the dating world, right? So sometimes we will get on Tinder and or Match.com so we would prefer connection over love sometimes but our true desire is love mm-hmm. uh certainty we all need certainty in our lives uh we don't start our cars and wonder if it's going to start or not but we have faith because previous times it started or the chair that we're sitting on or the relationship that we're in we're always looking for certainty that this is going to work uh growth growth is important we have to feel that we're actually moving forward uh because I truly believe that progress equals happiness. And as we take our steps forward, as we're developing, as we're growing, we essentially fulfill that need. Uh, so growth is, is, is one of them. Contribution. Contribution. We, we live in the social media world, right? So when something really cool happens, what is the first thing we do? Like it. We like it. And what else?
1: Comment. Comment.
0: We comment or we share. We are sharing it constantly on social media. So we're contributing to the world saying, hey, look at what we've accomplished or what we're accomplishing. Or
1: what we have to say about it. Or contribution, I think, of like volunteering and giving back and uh, specifically uh, in the faith, you know, contributing through your spiritual gifts. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Is spiritual gifts, as well as if you are attending church, you, you're giving tithes, you're contributing to the, the well being of everybody in a congregation. Or if you ever watch one of those commercials where 80 cents a day you can feed a child, you're contributing to the world. So yeah. that's one way of doing it. And then, significance, significance, everybody has a need for it. And social media magnifies that need of, I need to feel important in the eyes of the people around me. Mm-hmm. So we have a need to be significant in people, uh, in, in the relationships we have, and then variety. Variety is important. Tony Robbins often talks about it. If we knew what was going to happen every single day, we would be bored out of our minds. Mm. Now, surprises are good if it's in your favor. Uh, bad surprises, like "Hey, I'm pregnant and we're not married," that's 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 not a good surprise. But variety in our lives keeps us. Um, There's a quote that says, variety is a spice of life. It keeps it different. It keeps it flowing. So those six human needs are what we essentially need in our lives. And some are more magnified than others, depending if that cup is filled. If that cup is not filled, then we try to look to fill those cups with other things. And sometimes those are not the healthiest behaviors.
1: Yeah. You say variety and surprises are good. And and. Sometimes they're not good. And so I think about trauma when you say that, you know, trauma is is a shock that was unexpected. That's how trauma is created. And so I definitely know what that's like. Most of us know what that's like. But that need for certainty, I would say, and significance mm-hmm. would be a root issue for the need for power mm-hmm. and control, the need to feel significant and the need to have certainty that that person's always going to stay with us; they're not going anywhere, and certain that we will always have power, mm-hmm. right? And we'll always be able to control them. That definitely plays out in relationships that are unhealthy and even violent.
0: Yes, definitely. So, how does this? Oftentimes, I talk about poor leadership, and and sometimes the kid gets the kids get. Uh, a little frustrated because I'm always talking about poor leadership. And with my friends, I'm constantly talking about poor leadership. Um, my question would essentially be, and I'm asking myself, and as I think about it, what, how does this compare to domestic violence and poor leadership at the same time? I truly believe that poor leaders not getting their needs met in the workplace, they become a dictator and everything has to go through them. They become the filter of it and that's the same way so that's in the workplace now how does it translate in the home life so if there's a poor leader in the home everything has to go through them the schedules have to go through them curfews have to go through them the money has to go through them all of these things have to go through this style of leadership they become the uh, the filter of everything and they they are in power of everything around them and they're they're in control of things but ultimately it's meeting that need of being certain. And then simultaneously they're feeling significant because people are going through them that they're the point of contact Mm -hmm. versus the last point of contact. So it makes them feel significant and it it feels that certainty need.
1: You said that they're in power. And it's interesting because when a dictator leader is in power from the perspective of a dictator leader, the people are not empowered. Right. Mm -hmm. And you were talking about that. And it brought up for me, my dad, this over the summer, I was working with my dad and he very much is a dictator leader. And that's part of the reason why we don't work together anymore, because I just cannot function under that style of leadership. But he very much so Uh, wanted me to create things. But then when I would try to create, he would step in with this position of power and it literally zapped that creativity. So that's a work example, but very much so this plays into the home and I can see, you know, one particular spouse having all of that control and the children not having a voice being Mm -hmm. disempowered and the other spouse not having a voice. Mm -hmm. And so it, sometimes can become more than just not having to say so, but also really, really violent. And that's really what we're here to talk about is, you know, I don't know that in our culture, we ask enough questions, Mm -hmm. you know, even, even on, on Facebook, right. We're constantly commenting. We have a comment. We have a statement to make. Uh, A couple months ago, I did a challenge where we had to ask questions of each other all month in our private Facebook group and the purpose for that is because we're always making comments, but we we don't often, we don't ask enough questions. So I want to continue asking questions here to dive deeper and just really think about this issue of unhealthy relationships, this issue and epidemic of domestic violence in our culture, in our country, in our world. We definitely need to ask questions on how we can end this, and sometimes we can't do the same thing expecting a different result. We have to switch it up. We have to create a, a shift, right? The leadership. <laughs> this is a leadership show. So, nice I have, pun.
0: Nice pun. Yeah.
1: So, I have a, a question for you, and I did take some time to think about this beforehand. And I think that this will lead us to the place in which we're trying to go. So I want you to pretend, David, just for a minute here, that earth was no longer habitable. And we found another planet somewhere in our universe that we could all go to and live, right? So God has assigned you to lead this planet. And the one thing that you want to do is create a world with healthy relationships. hmm You want to create a world where domestic violence no longer exists. So what would you do to create that world?
0: The first thing would be prevention. Mm -hmm. It would be prevention. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you may be saying, how do we prevent domestic violence? I truly believe when we teach and reward healthy habits, we correct immediately with love and truth. Mm -hmm. And then we, most importantly, exemplify healthy relationships as leaders.
1: So I hear you talking about habits and there's lots of leadership habits out there. I'm curious if there was these habits that we were going to be teaching our littles, right? Mm -hmm. What are, which this is ironic too, because I'm sitting here thinking about how you go into schools right now and teach leadership habits to kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if we were going to teach habits, what are those habits going to be so that we can prevent it?
0: First, I believe there's six habits, six habits to being a great leader. And this is just my definition of it. Um, Number one, first and foremost, it has to be love. Love has to be the foundation of all great leadership because it is absolutely fundamental Mm -hmm. to human development. It was what we were created from. It was what we were created for. And then, it was what we are created with. We are created for love, with love, and by love. Mm-hmm. So when we come from that place, love is gentle, love is kind, love is um, um, not uh, doesn't rejoice in in in, in evil. It mm-hmm. remembers all truth and and it celebrates truth. When we come from that place, we look at people through the lens of love. And when we look at the lens of love, then we are open versus closed off. We are receptive versus. Uh, close minded So, love is the foundational to uh, to being a great leader, and I talked about it in my TEDx. Number two would essentially be vulnerability. Vulnerability is so important. When I connect with people networking, I tell them that, and I encourage them uh, to be vulnerable because vulnerability allows us to create the bridges from one relationship to another. There's nothing worse in the world when you show up to somebody's house mm-hmm. and you know, they're blocking something and you're just like, what are you hiding? And they're just like, oh, nothing. But you clearly see that they're hiding something.
1: You mean like when you're in a conversation with someone and you feel like you're up against a wall?
0: No, like when you're at, when you go to somebody's house and you knock on the door and then they open the door and then they're blocking something and you're just like, what are you blocking? And it, it's just like, nothing, nothing. And you clearly see the object behind them oh, and they're telling okay. you nothing. <laughs> and you, you, you just like you feel that feeling of distrust mm-hmm. and if certainty is a need for a lot of us um creating that vulnerability removes that veil of um, deception it removes that veil of the wall that things are perfect so vulnerability creates the often it it, it, it creates impl-
1: trust i think and that would be like a pillar if we were talking about pillars Yeah, I would say that vulnerability creates trust in that relationship and authenticity, and that's a pillar for leadership overall, really, in relationships Mm -hmm. overall.
0: And leadership is relationships. And and number three would be courage. Courage doesn't mean that we're not afraid. It it means that we're taking action despite our fear. So Mm -hmm. we're moving forward progressively despite um, the opposition ahead of us. And number four would be curious. Like you talked about earlier, you said, you know, on Facebook, people are commenting, people are making statements.
1: That's what it was. It was the curiosity challenge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: So when we are curious versus commenting, now we're asking questions. Now we have a a discovery mindset of Mm. how does this work? Why does this work? When does this work? Why is it
1: not working?
0: Why is it not working? And when we're curious, that means we're more receptive to receiving what's to come versus certain of already assuming what's to come. So Practice curiosity allows us to be more open by simply asking questions about others. Um, there's a great book. I love it. It's called How to Win Friends and Influence People. And Dale Carnegie talks about curious people or interested people are interesting. So we have to be interesting. And in order to be interesting, we have to be curious. But so, how does
1: that correlate to healthy relationships?
0: So we... we In order to be curious and how it correlates to healthy relationships, we have to have those conversations Mm -hmm. about where did your background come from or how was your upbringing and what did you experience? What are your thoughts on this?
1: And have you healed?
0: And have you healed?
1: From those things, right? Because if we haven't healed from those things, they're going to play themselves out in our relationship. And I think being curious too, even knowing, first of all, that we have these six human needs and understanding what our partner's needs are. So I think that's really imperative. And I can tell you right now, I, I already know that you know my greatest need, uh, but I would believe that yours would be, let me see if I can guess. I think it would be certainty.
0: Certainty is my greatest need. Yeah. Yeah, certainty and growth. Uh, so curiosity simply leads us to the place of self-discovery. And when we discover who we are and who we belong to, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, number five, essentially, of, that six, of those six, six habits would be <laughs> communication. Got yeah, tongue-tied. So communication, I truly believe it's, again, it's the vehicle that creates the bridges between the people and how we communicate with people either create bridges or creates islands. And healthy communication creates bridges. Unhealthy c- communication creates islands and separation with people. And-
1: so if a couple is having a disagreement, then... I mean, it's, it's so easy to become emotionally charged when you're in the middle of a disagreement, but I think it would be about creating, creating those habits so that people know how to effectively communicate. It's the, I think it's the greatest skill that we need in our life and in our world. And nobody teaches this to us. We don't learn, we learn how to speak. And we learn how to read and we learn how to write, but no one teaches us how to communicate unless we go and learn that on our own. That's how we learn about it. So we would definitely need to teach communication in this new world.
0: I think, I respectfully disagree, I I think we do learn how to communicate, but we know we learn how to communicate for our needs versus communicating to connect.
1: That's true.
0: Which leads me to number six of the... Uh, six habits to being a great leader is conflict resolution. The ability to communicate through conflict is is imperative because oftentimes the word conflict, most people see that as a negative connotation because it has mm-hmm. negative connotations around it. But conflict, I was talking to a friend and I told her that conflict is like a doctor's visit, and when we get checked up on, it was just like, okay, I have this symptom. Here's a prescription for it. Um, if the doctor tell you, Hey, my man, you, you're a little overweight, uh, chill with the, the, the chips, my man, what are you going to do? You're going <laughs> to chill with the chips you don't want to high, high cholesterol or high blood pressure. So conflict becomes a check-in in relationships. Like, Hey, mm. this works. This doesn't work. Continue doing this. This doesn't, um, please stop doing this. So finding that resolution. <laughs> so
1: conflict is the check-in in relationships. That's good. I've never heard you talk about it that way. And I definitely have to say in our relationship, you've helped me break down those walls of, of kind of rejecting conflict and avoiding conflict, really, because uh, I always perceive conflict as bad, but teaching the littles, right, in this new world, mm-hmm. how to resolve conflict and teaching them in the first place that conflict is good. Conflict mm-hmm. is not bad.
0: Conflict is good. So those would be the six habits to being a great leader.
1: For sure. So what else would you do?
0: Most importantly is create a new standard. Uh, social accountability. Oftentimes, we look to our government to uh, enforce all of these things that we desire. It's like uh, wait till the government does this. Wait till the government. Does this. But the government is is an embodiment of the people that is in it. It's not mm. a robot. It's the people that are in government who are creating these changes. They're enforcing these laws. So we, as the people, have to have that social accountability within one another in our communities. I remember when smoking was acceptable in restaurants, on airplanes, um, just in general, then we as a people decided no more. We as a people said, enough is enough. We as a people said, this is not healthy.
1: Mm -hmm. So we
0: as a people decided it was unacceptable. So when we decide that Unhealthy relationships are unacceptable, then we'll start moving in a new wave, then we'll start creating the change because we as a people have decided that. And I truly, I truly believe this with all of my heart. Um, uh, when we are against something, we shouldn't magnify what it is. So there's a lot of protests that's going on right now and saying, you know, in domestic violence, in domestic violence, in domestic violence. And I'm in support of ending domestic violence. My upbringing was domestic violence, but I don't think that's the, the healthiest way and the most effective way to bring in about change. I truly believe in order for us to bring about change, we have to talk about the things that we want.
1: Yeah. Don't talk about what you don't want. Talk about what we do want. You know what? And that's a great point, but I also want to go back to what you said about how, um, smoking became unacceptable and the reason why smoking became unacceptable is because so many uh, public service announcements started coming out right Mm -hmm. i remember being Uh, a kid and watching some stuff on MTV. Unfortunately, I was already smoking by then. I don't smoke anymore, but I did for a long time. And so I remember what it was like when it was socially acceptable. And then all these PSAs started coming out and information started coming out about how secondhand smoke was worse than firsthand. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, uh, society decided this is affecting me. Mm -hmm. And I'm no longer going to put up with this affecting me and my family. So I think our culture has to come to a realization that domestic violence is affecting them. Mm -hmm. Whether we see it right now or not, it is absolutely affecting. When when my situation happened and my ex-husband literally set me on fire, it did not just affect me. It affected uh, Malachi and Malik. Mm -hmm. It affected my friends It affected my family. It affected the neighborhood. It affected the woman who helped save my life, the police that were there, the media. It affected the entire community, right? And so oftentimes we think about how we haven't experienced this, but the reality is that what if it was your daughter? And my question is always this too. What if it was your daughter that was in a violent relationship? Would you care about it then? And what if it was your son who was potentially going to go to prison? Because my ex-husband is somebody's son and it affected her. It affected his family too. So yeah, social accountability, I think is a big deal. And that's where we have our the most power. I think we all think government is really powerful and it is in its ways, but social accountability is extremely powerful. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. So I think that, I'd like to chime in if you don't mind too. Thirdly, I would say intervention would be a big deal in this new world. Mm -hmm. We know that hurt people hurt people, right? Mm -hmm. And so what that alludes to is the fact that people need healing. And I think that we often address only one side of domestic violence. The person who is hurting, um, one, will oftentimes go to prison, right? if they're held accountable. But the person who's being hurt is often offered a lots of support. Hopefully, they're offered lots of support in order to recover and to heal and to restore. So I think there's two sides of this we would need to look at it. Um if when we're talking about intervention, the first is looking at the perpetrator. And I really believe that number 1 that perpetrator needs to be held accountable. Whatever that looks like in our new world, whether that's a prison or I mean, who knows, maybe it would be a retreat center and not a prison because the second thing I think that they need is they need to be offered rehabilitation and they need to be offered healing. And Mm -hmm. I say that because it's one thing to support the person who has experienced this and it is highly necessary. But here's the thing. Let's just say that person who, who hurt the other one was sentenced to 10 years and they never receive any healing or any rehabilitation. And they come out of prison and then guess what? Within six months, they've got a new girlfriend and they're doing the same thing all over again. Mm -hmm. So we have to address that side. And not in every case, but in a lot of cases, the person who is doing the harming is the person who's coming from a place of hurt. Mm -hmm. They've experienced trauma. Maybe they grew up around violence. Maybe they had a drug addict of a mother. You never know what people are coming from but we have to address those wounds. And secondly, the person who's being harmed. In intervention, we definitely need to offer shelter and escape. We need to offer those financial resources for that person to get back on their feet, get them into hiding if we need to through the Address Confidentiality Program, but also just offer them a community where they can come together and understand that number one, they are not alone. Knowing that we're not alone has a profound effect on the healing process and the healing journey. So, I think that community of support is critical. And then, offering them some type of healing program for them to go through as well, um, just giving them whatever they need in order to thrive. So, yeah.
0: That was pretty good. I just to summarize what we essentially talked about of creating this new world where domestic violence will no longer be an epidemic, would we'll be number one, prevention. And we talked about the six habits of what makes a great leader. The fun, foundational is love, being one of them, being curious uh, and creating you know healthy communication and healthy conflict resolution. Then we talked about creating a new standard of social accountability mm-hmm. and saying no more, just mm-hmm. like we said, no more surrounding the smoking epidemic. And then intervention for those who... Uh, were the perpetrators who committed the the crime, uh, offering them an opportunity to heal and be held responsible for what they did, and then those who mm-hmm. were ha- harmed, creating a healing program. So I just want to say thank you so much, Audrey, for coming on this episode one more time. I definitely appreciate you. I appreciate the fact that you're speaking about a topic that isn't talked about enough from a different perspective. Yeah. Because oftentimes we look at it, you know, this is what's happened to me, what's happened to me versus here's a solution, here's a solution. So we talked about it and I want to thank you for that. And for those, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And for those who are listening, joining us uh, every second and fourth Wednesday of each month for a new episode, we're on podcasts. I have Apple podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. I want you to leave us a review. So this podcast can actually reach more leaders to have more difficult conversation, but most importantly, lead people to an empowered life. Uh, Mm. Next time, next month, we're actually launching our our leadership series on Lead Like Jesus. You do not want to miss this because Mm. this revolutionized the way we should lead and it flips the corporate world on its Its head.
1: head. Yeah,
0: And I also want you to remember this. Remember, if we as leaders are to set ourselves apart, we must start by leading through love, which Which always comes comes from from the the heart.
1: heart.